Good morning, everyone. Glad to see everybody here this morning. So we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're about, let's see, we were ready to do question 9, but we have a few verses here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, just want to go over those real quick. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. So with that, we were looking at question number nine in our book here. Um, what is the appointed end of those who did not believe or who do not believe and are disobedient? Some, uh, some translations instead of appointed will say destined end. Well, it says here that they are appointed to stumble, right? They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Now, if you notice, it does say they were appointed or that they were destined, but we know also that they can choose to believe. They do not have to do that. They can choose to believe. Some have, especially nowadays. So if we look at uh, question number 10 then, how are Christians described by Peter? We'll just take the first question, the first part. We're cho a chosen generation, right? Yeah. What else? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Yes, his own special people. That does it. It makes you feel, you know, good. It makes it a because you're special. We are special to God, to God the Father. And if we look back, there's a similar there's similar verses back in the Old Testament. If you look at Exodus chapter 19, verses five and six. Now, therefore, 
If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So this is just what Peter is saying here is very similar to that and just showing that we are grafted in to be God's people, that we have joined that holy nation of God. Yes? When, we think about, when I think about the word chosen, I think about when I was a kid and you're just playing with kids in the neighborhood or on the playground and you choose sides for like dodgeball. Yeah, like if you're playing dodgeball and you have separate teams and you get chosen to be on this team, right? We did like London Bridge and everybody locked arms and when somebody from the other side came over and tried to break your arms. Yeah. But anyway, when you're chosen, you got to be on their team, whether you're playing the ball game or whatever. You got like, yay, somebody picked me. Somebody likes me. Right. I, I belong. Right. Somebody chose me, picked me because they like me, because they want me to be on their team. Right. And I think as adults, we still have that desire to to be wanted, to be liked, to be to want to be part of a whole, to be part of something and belong. Right. Even as adults, we do want to be a part of something. We do want to belong. We want to be chosen. And and God does choose us. He chooses all of us, we are all chosen and special to God. And that's, that's an important thing to realize. Does anyone have anything else on that? All right. So the next part of our question 10 there is what is their duty? So what is our duty? What are, what are we supposed to do? bring them out of darkness and into God's light. Right, right. It's, and he, he says to proclaim the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light, right? That's how he says it. But yes, we're to teach the lost. We're to praise God and, and you know, help draw people out of the darkness. And then the third part of that is Why? That's always a good question. Why? Right. Because we are now the people of God who have obtained mercy. And we're telling others about his mercy. We're sharing the mercy that he has given us, right? Okay, so... Before the next question, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors 
as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what, okay, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So if we look at question 11, what is our duty as sojourners and pilgrims in this world? And here he's talking about something a little different than what we spoke about before. The gist of it is we should not sin, right? Yes, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, which would be, I guess that would basically be any sin, right? Yes. But on top of that, you have to know what sin is. The world, a lot of times, they don't think what they're doing is sin. You have to learn what it is. You have to know what it is. I, I think what we see in the world a lot of times right now is, it's kind of an... It's kind of an ignorance of not just God and the Word, but they're, they're getting to the point sometimes where they just don't even want to admit reality of what's real, just what's there in the normal. Well, they're changing reality, and that makes it okay to do. They think they are. Yeah. They think they are. I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. They really can't. Yeah, that's true. But, but they think they're changing reality, yes. And that's part of the deception and the lie. I think they've fallen for in a lot of ways. And that's not, those are not good things. The results of that are not good. So yes, we should abstain from these fleshly lusts, from the sins that war against the soul, right? The things that are warring against us, the truth of God and what we know to be true. So, then he asks, why? It also says, well, I did skip part of that, I'm sorry. It also says that we should conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles, right? And conducting ourselves honorably, 
you know, with honor and integrity. We don't, we can't represent God if we're, if we're doing things incorrectly and we're having dishonor in our lives. Is there something, Jim? As Gentiles, we have become a chosen people. We have responsibility for that. And uh, he says here, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. So we are representing God. Right, we are representing God. Yes, we need to act like, be holy because God is holy. Act like yes. God and not act like the world, yes. And he's spelling out some of the conditions that we need to follow here in this passage. What God expects of us. Right. Yeah, he is He is laying out some, yeah, things that we should be doing and not doing, right? To follow, to follow God and to represent God. In the to the world, so it says as far as the why on that, and the why on that may have been the way it's uh, the way things are worded. It could be a little confusing, but uh, if you'll notice, he says that they might glorify God, and who's the they? Well, that's the the Gentiles, or we could think of that as the world, the people who are. Un, maybe unbelievers, that they might glorify God in the day of visitation because of our good works. If we conduct ourselves honorably, they will see those good things. So, also in, we're going to get there in chapter 3, it also says, so that they will be ashamed of any false reports. And that's, that's kind of a rough paraphrase, but... Um, but it does mention here that when they speak against you as evildoers, because sometimes, sometimes we are accused of being evildoers just because we're Christians and we follow the Lord. We do see that. I, I see that a lot in the news and in different places. Different groups of people, they uh, immediately associate us with being bad, with being wrong. So just something to be aware of. Yes? Um, on the other hand, when we do our good works, we're not to do it to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. Right. When we do our good works, that is to glorify God. That is not to lift ourselves up or praise ourselves, right? As a representative of God, that's what we're doing those things for. Does anyone have anything else on that? All right. So if we look at question number 12... What is our duty toward the governments of men? And you can see that in verses uh, 13 through 15. We're to obey the law of the land. Right. We're to, he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, right? And some translations will say every institution. So I, 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 I would say that that has more to do with the law and being subject to the rightful sub, uh, institutions of your government. Like, we may not like them, but like the IRS, you know, <laughs> we have to be subject to that. That's, 
you know, we can't run around breaking the law. Um, Jesus even, even says that. So there's that being subject to the law, right? And, uh, the idea is that we should always be acting lawfully and correctly. And, and we should be in order with the laws as long as they do not go against God, regardless of what other people do. So then there is a question on that, though, of why? Again, why? Well, it's the will of God. Well, because God said so, right? It's the will of God. That's true. That's true. And because it silences the evildoers and the people that speak against us that they see righteousness Right. And, you know, so I guess I can't explain it. No, that's, that's right. Because, and he says that by doing good, we might silence the ignorance of foolish men. We might silence those who accuse us of being evildoers by following the law, by doing the right things that we may silence them. In other words, we should set the example. We can't, well, if we're speeding everywhere we go, are we really following the law? Are we setting a good example? If we're cheating on our taxes, since I brought that up, just throw that out there. If we're taking things from the office that we shouldn't be taking, you know, there's all these little things that sometimes people get into doing, they don't think much about it, and they they think it's okay for them to do it, but but it's not, really. So, Does anyone have anything else on that? All right. So if we look at question 13, how are we to use our freedom in Christ? Because he does say that we are free, and we are. If you look in verse 16, and this is part of the sentence that starts in verse 15, okay? For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. So you were not to use our freedom to sin, to make it okay to commit sin, because it's not but as bondservants to God, right? Bondservants of God is the exact phrase that I have in the New King James Version. So if we think about that, what's a bondservant? Basically, a slave or a serf a person bound in service without wages. We are bondservants of God. So as servants of God, we should be doing the good works mentioned in the verses preceding this. We are free to do good and to be of service. So in that, yes. In that verse, it says using liberty as a book. Right. Sounds like a person that wants to do what they want to do and say they have the liberty to do what they want when in fact they don't because they're a servant of God. But that person 
uses the liberty because they take their choice, whatever it is they want to do. So it it can be like that's a confusing statement. Using the liberty because they have it in Christ. That means to choose God or to not choose God, correct? Well, I think some people use the freedom we have in the Lord as an excuse to do what they want, like just like you were saying. Yeah. And sometimes people choose to do things. It may be, let's see, what's a, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, and they justify it by saying we have freedom to do it, and the Bible doesn't say anything about it. We hear that, and, you know, a lot of times, a lot, and sometimes the Bible doesn't cover everything because uh, they didn't have crack cocaine back in Jesus' day, okay? <laughs> they didn't have that, but just seeing the negative effects of that and knowing how bad it is for us, we know that is not right. That's just like, they would have a little wine, yes. They had wine back then, and the water wasn't always safe, and they didn't always, you know, but they would have a little wine, but that doesn't mean that they were getting drunk. There's a difference in having something and overdoing something, just for one example. But some people would use their freedom, which we are free in Christ. This, uh, this covenant is freer than the law, which forbade a lot of things and had a lot of check boxes, but... At the same time, this covenant is actually more demanding. We are commanded to love everyone, one another, and to treat everyone appropriately. So, but using, not using your liberty as a cloak for vice is not using, to my mind, it's not using the freedom that Jesus has given us as a, an excuse to just sin more in different ways or to find a way around things we know are wrong. Does that make sense? You got something, Jim? The last part of verse 16 sums it up. As long servants of God, we're expected to live a certain way, mm -hmm. act a certain way, do things as he prescribed it, and not what Jim wants to walking. Right. Again, we are bond servants of God. We are slaves or servants of God. We should be doing as he has directed us to do, right? So. Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. So if we look at question number... 14, what four admonitions summarize our duties to others? And you can find that in verse 17 if you want to look there. To respect all. To respect all. Or he says honor all people. That would be respecting all people, right? Now notice that's all people, even people that maybe we don't think of as Someone we should show respect to. Maybe they're vile and awful and cruel to us, but we should still respect all people. 
or honor all people. That's a hard example and a hard thing to think about, but hard thing to do. Love the brotherhood. Love we should we should love our fellow Christians, right? We all know that. That's one thing. The last night Jesus was uh, with the disciples. He stressed that so much. Love one another. He he said that. I forget how many times I counted it one time, but he said that a lot to them that night. Stressed that to them. Then fear God. Then fear God. It says fear God, right? And did you have something, Eileen? I wanted to add to the thought of fear God because I know of other people that love the Lord and they're very diligent and sincere, but they're, they don't understand the concept of fear God. They've never heard that term. Or, I don't know about hmm. never, but they're perplexed by that thought should fear God. We ought to fear God because of judgment day. Right, right. Well, fearing God, if you think about God, the creator of the universe, all power lies in him. And especially if you think you're going to go against him, you should fear God. Right. I mean, normally I, I don't I don't fear God in a sense that I'm trembling in fear all the time and I can't get anything done because I'm so afraid. But when we think about judgment and we think about we've done something wrong, yes, we should have a bit of fear. He is the all-powerful, almighty God. The word awe might be better than fear. Awe could be better than fear in ways. It, it, in this instance, I think. It, uh, it shows uh, an amount... It shows a certain respect for his power and his authority. So there's a lot tied into that, that they, that they, you know, say fear. There is a lot tied into that. Did you have something, Jim? Uh, you just used the word that I was going to bring out, and that is respect. We've got to know who God is. Yep, we do have and to know who he is. What is our place how should we react to him? He spelled this out for us, but we choose to ignore the love of God. And so we need to have proper respect for who God is. We, we should have the proper respect for who God is. And if we think about just kind of a rough analogy, think about when you're a little kid, maybe you're three, four years old, and you do something you know is wrong, are you not afraid? of your dad when he comes at you to get you? I was. <laughs> I was at that at that age I was afraid of my mom and she wasn't a big woman, but but I wasn't very big at three years old, four years old, five, six years old. If either of them came to get me for doing something wrong, I was a little afraid, yeah, because I knew what was coming. So that's that's a rough analogy, but I think it fits that. And God is our heavenly fuller, yes. And let's think about if he withdrew his hand from us, where would we be? Right. If God withdraws his protection, where would we be? Yeah. And without him, I'm nothing. Right. Right. Without God, we are nothing. We think sometimes we're something great when we 
sheets or anything. But where did that come from? That comes from God. All the blessings come from God, right? So, yeah, we think it's great when we do something, when we achieve something. But we need to remember that that comes from God itself. Yeah. That's true, too. Excellent point. The last thing in this verse... Oh, did you have something, Judy? Elder? Uh, when we use the word fear... We we got in our head. We got one thing in mind: You're scared to death. Right. Uh, you you can't get that out of your head. But fear can mean so many different things. It's like you've been saying here all the time. Right. All different things: respect, all the other things that you said. But you still think of a fear like you can't about your dad. Yeah. Like I said, I. I can only remember two or three weapons I ever got from my dad, but I, I had a fear of him. <laughs> yes. But my mom was different. <laughs> <laughs> I think reverence is a good word, too. Have all reverence toward God. Reverence is good, too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, fear, fear, there's a lot involved in this fear, not just reverence, respect, and awe, and and respecting that power that they have over you and recognizing that authority. Because that's something that we don't we don't think of when we're young because we don't have the knowledge of that kind of word or thing, but we know that our parents are our authority, you know, at that time. I think sometimes we think of God as our sugar daddy. Give me, give me God, give me this and give me that. But he's much more than that. Right. God is more than just someone you run to to get stuff from, right? Yeah, that's that's the other old guy who sometimes has candy in his pocket that he gives to the kids, you know. I'm thinking of some guy I knew back years ago, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he just always had, like, candy that he would give to kids. So. But, uh, yeah, God is, God is not. He is a giver of blessings, and he blesses us tremendously, but that's not all he is. So the last part of this question, because there were four things and we didn't mention the fourth one. And this one is can be extremely difficult. Honor the king, honor your leader, and sometimes, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what party you think of or who you think of, sometimes, no matter who is your leader, is your official, sometimes you have a hard time honoring them, or maybe I should just talk about myself sometimes, <laughs> I find it hard. Yes, Judy. The, there the king is capitalized, and that makes me think when they, when they do that, just like him or he or whatever, it's capitalized. They're talking about God. Oh, that's not capitalized in mine. Okay, hold on a second. When I read this, and, and mine, I, now I'm looking at the new King James Version, just so you know. And I know other versions sometimes have things differently. Yeah, mine's a small K, so I took that to mean like our... And because some of this is talking about the government and different things, I took that. But we should always honor God and, and the Lord anyway. I mean, definitely. But in this case, I, I really thought he was pointing us to acting honorably towards those over us in the government and in society and 
Yes. This version uh-huh. it is called New Revised Standard Version. Okay. In that verse, it says, Honor the Emperor. Oh, I did see that in some translations where it said the Emperor, which, again, that would just be whoever's ruling or in charge at the time. Did you have something, Jim? Well, in other places, it says that their office is ordained by God. Yes. They put them there for a purpose. Now, they don't always fulfill that purpose the way they're supposed to, but there should be a respect for that office. Right. We should respect that office. And the, the idea of the government, of course, is to, to maintain a peaceable lawful society where we can worship God, where we can follow the Lord. And I I think that's what, like Jim is saying, where God has ordained these offices. I think that's what that's about. Does anyone have anything else on that or those four things? All right. So... This kind of leads us down into that that next verse there, but uh, question 15, what is the duty of servants to their masters? Right, we should submit and be obedient to our masters. A lot of times nowadays we would think of that since we, there is still slavery in the world, but we do not have slavery here. Um, so a lot of times we think of this as maybe in our job, just being submissive to our boss and doing what we should do, not giving them a lot of lip. It's one thing to give them advice and to help them out. And sometimes you have to do that. But it's another if you're just, you know, being cantankerous with your boss. That's not a good thing, right? And it says, with all fear, not only to the good in general, but also to the harsh. Have you ever had, I'll just call it a bad boss, have you ever had someone who was just hard to deal with and get along with? And I have, I have, and it's not the easiest thing. So I understand that that can be a problem. It's difficult. Are we, are we that late? All right, let's look at one more thing because this goes with question number 15. Let's look at question number 16. What is commendable before God? It's in verses 19 and 20. From your master, right? Because this, this flows with from verse 18 into 19 and 20. It says, for this is commendable if because of your conscience toward God you endure grief or suffer wrongfully. So that's what is commendable is if because we are following God, we're following the Lord and acting appropriately as his example was, even if we're suffering wrongfully. And then in verse 20, of course, he says, for... What credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, if you're actually doing something wrong and you get in trouble, well, you should take that patiently. You're at fault, right? So that's that's not any credit to you. But if you do good and suffer, if you're doing correctly and you still, 
you know, are punished or have to suffer for that. And if you take that patiently, this is commendable before God. Does anybody have anything on that before we close? Okay. So I want to thank you all for your time and your attention. We'll come back next week and start with question 17.